How many of you were in the uh, were in the first service? Okay, you've already heard the Larson Quartet. Brother Larson, he's quartet sing. Brother Larson is a great guy. He's one of my finest friends. Sister Barbara Basin's ex pastor, and uh, Brother Larson uh, was elected as pastor of Calvary Tabernacle way back when. Brother N.A. Urshan was elected as general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. And uh, it was a great church at that time. It was probably the biggest church in the United Pentecostal Church in Indianapolis, it was. And uh, Brother Larson became pastor. Brother John Johnson in our church was asked by Brother Larson to go there and be his assistant pastor. So he was assistant pastor there to Brother Larson. At that time, he married my daughter, Denise, and uh, they, uh, they lived there in Indianapolis for some years. Denise taught it. IBC, and uh, and Brother Larson then chose to go back to California and to pastor there in San Diego, a great church. has a great church there. And uh, chose to go back there, and of course, Brother Mooney took the church to Indianapolis, and Brother Johnson continued to be his assistant until he moved down here and came this way. So we are delighted to have Brother, Brother Larson. I've been there at in his church, I preached for him there in Indianapolis, also there in San Diego. And uh, he is a great guy, just a wonderful guy to be around. And if you ever spend time just being with him, around him, he's a wonderful guy. So I'll say that. And when you hear him sing, he's a great singer too. <laughs> Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. We are so delighted for all of you that are with us today. I have a very interesting Bible study today for us. I'm going to and uh, I probably am going to have uh, two Bible studies, but I want to get started on the one that I told you that I was going to be talking to you about. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with us to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. I'm going to review just a few minutes here before I get into the mainstream of what we are going to be looking at here in the scriptures. But we're talking here about the, the prophecies of Jesus his earthly ministry prophecies. And uh, Jesus had said that your house shall not be left, shall be left unto you desolate in this 23rd chapter. He said that to these disciples. Now in, in chapter 24 and verse one, it says, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple. I'll be coming back to this talking about the temple here in a little bit too. He departed from the temple and his disciples came with him for to show him the buildings of the temple. The reason was because the building of the temple was such a great edifice at that time. And it was just uh, adorable. It was, I showed a picture of what, uh, what some artists believe that it could have looked like in that time, that period of time. Herod's temple. And uh, we're still uh, somewhat under construction at this time. We're to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see you not. All these things, barely I say unto you, this is verse 2, barely I say unto you, uh, there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. In other words, this is all going to be destroyed. And then in verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, that means they left the temple, went down across the Kidron Valley, up on the, on the other side, on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And you can look back over across the little valley and you can see the Temple Mount. You can see it then. Now there's the Dome of the Rock. That's a Muslim uh, shrine type thing. And uh, 
When they got over there, this verse three, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? That is the destruction of the temple. Not one stone should be left upon another. When shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Now they already knew that Jesus had said, I'm going to go away and I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. They also knew that he'd given parables concerning all of that. So they said, and when, and, and when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. And the word world here uh, means age or a dispensation of time or a period of time. And so when shall be the end of that, this dispensation of time in which uh, you will be gone and then you will come back and so forth. And so Jesus then proceeds in this 24th chapter to, to talk about all three of these questions all put together. Some of them were talking about the destruction of the temple. Some of them were talking about his coming when he would come back again right. and at the end of the dispensational period of time. Now, uh, over in Matthew chapter, the same chapter of the Matthew, over in verse 33, he says a very interesting thing here. Look very closely here. He says, so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. That is at the end of the dispensation of time. Amen. Now, he says here then in verse 34, I didn't know you were here. <laughs> verse 34, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Everybody see that? Now that prompts a lot of questions and a lot of and. And of course, I'm going to read, read the same thing over here in Luke. If you'll look over here in Luke chapter 21, verse 31 and 32. And in the book of Luke, he pretty well says the same thing that Matthew says in 24. Only Luke gives, breaks it down where it's a little bit more digestible, if I could say it to us, as we would say it. He separates the destruction of the temple from that that's of the end time. And so when he comes down to verse 31, he says the same words here. He says, so likewise ye, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know ye not that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Praise God. So I'm just sort of letting you know here that these things that were spoken of here by Jesus, recorded both by Matthew and Luke here, uh, is stated, and it's a very easy answer for us to always say, he was referring to the generation uh, he was re that was to be, not the generation that is. And that's the way I always explain it. Uh, the one spoken of, not the one spoken to. But there's a deeper depth than that in this fact that where he says, uh, he says that, uh, this generation shall not pass away until all be fulfilled. And I'm going to try to give you some scriptures to explain that to you because this is a wonderful understanding of the scriptures and the revelation of the word of God Amen. about the generation of the Lord. Praise God. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this generation time because in, these, in this 21st chapter and 24th chapter of, of Matthew, when he's talking about it, he talks about the destruction of the temple. He goes on to talk about how that the children in this 21st chapter of Luke, for instance, were there. He talks about how that in verse 10 and 11, 
then said he unto them, Nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, famines, pestilence, fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. This hasn't happened yet. But then he said, but before all these, before all these, and then from verse 12 on, he goes into talking about how that the temple is going to be destroyed. And he goes right on down and he talks about how that uh, verse 20, you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. And he talks about how that if you're in Judah, flee, flee. Verse 22, for these be the days of vengeance and so forth. Finally, down in verse 23, but woe unto them that give uh, that have children that they wouldn't be nursing their babies and they'll have to flee in distress and be the wrath upon this people. And then he says in verse 25, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword. That's the Jews now. Shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trodden. And that's exactly what happened. And it all happened in 70 AD. And then verse 25, he picks up where he leaves off in verse 11 when he talks about fearful sights and great signs in the heavens. He picks back up at 25 and says, and there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth distress of nation, perplexity of the seas and waves roaring. That's tsunamis. Men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things that are coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Now we know that all of that has not yet happened. So some things have happened, some things have not. The destruction of the temple, the first question, you know, when shall these things be? Okay, and then Jesus said, and then there shall be the sign of his coming. And then he goes on to say here, whenever you see these things, then look up, for you know your redemption draweth nigh. And uh, look at verse 28 here. The first, verse 27 and 28. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Praise God. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that when Jesus said these words, so likewise ye, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 32. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass. So this generation is, uh, is referring to all these things that happen. So how do we put that together? How can it be one generation? And there's all kinds of discussion about it. I had a guy come up to me the other day and said, Brother Myers, a generation is 33 years. I don't know where you got it. It doesn't matter. That's, that's not the point. But I've got some revelation, some things to give you here for you to understand what this verse of scripture is referring to. Everybody stay with me. Now, generations were... Well, let me go to Matthew uh, 1 here. Just if you've got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 1 and uh, verse 7. This is interesting because chapter 1, verse 1 in Matthew is all about the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham. Abraham. He was the first Jew and he lived 2,000 years before Christ. Verse 17 so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. You add those three 14 generations together and you have 42 generations. Everybody still with me? Now we can look back in the scriptures 
uh, for instance, Genesis chapter 10, and there's others, Second Chronicles as well, where it talks about how many generations preceded Abraham. From Adam to Abraham was 20 generations. 10 generations from Adam to Noah, and from Noah to Abraham were 10 generations. Very clear, very, that's, a, that's a known fact. So when you add those 20 generations to the 42 generations here, that for from Abraham to, to, to Christ, you have 62 generations. So what I'm making a statement here is saying that from Adam until Jesus, there is 62 generations. Now, there is no way of counting the generations since then. There's no way you can count them. I guess the Jews have tried to keep track of it, but their, their track of it is very spasmodic and so forth. But they always counted time by how long a king ruled or how long he, he reigned. However long he reigned, if he reigned for 20 years, that was a generation, that was his generation. If he reigned for 40 years, that was his generation and so forth. Let me give you an example of that. I'm going to have you go with me, if you would, over to Daniel chapter 1 for just a moment. I'll show you this. This is just, what I'm going to give you here is this, some scriptures that's just proving to you and showing you that a generation was the duration of that king reigning and whatever happened during that particular year of his reign, they know by that where it is in history and they can put them all together. This is uh, Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. I'm only just reading this to give you an example here. I'm jumping very quickly to Daniel chapter 7, 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. In the eighth chapter, verse 1, in the third year of the reign of the king Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto Daniel. I'm not interested in what happened so much as I'm interested in the time schedule that they used back in those days. Then verse chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, blah, 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 happened. And I'm jumping very quick to chapter 10. I'm just using this as examples here. You can also find this in 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings, 2 Chronicles, when they talked about the kings of Israel, kings of Judah, and how that each one was a generation. Uh, chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. Now, I'm only saying that to say that they counted time by how long a king ruled or how long he reigned. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That, in other words, that was a generation. If a king ruled for 60 years, that was a generation. If he ruled for, if he reigned for 20 years, that was a generation. And they counted those reigns and then they would say that was a generation. Now, I'm going to move on a little further here because I've got something very interesting to show you here. If you want to go with me, if you would, to, to uh, Psalms 22. Psalms 22. And stay with me on this. Psalms 22. And I want you to look with me in this Psalms 22. I think it's verse 26. 30 it is. Psalms 22, 30. Everybody with me? All right. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. 
Now, how do we know that has anything to do with Jesus, the seed? Uh, Going very quickly over here to the book of Galatians, chapter 3 and verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16 of Galatians. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. This is Paul talking. He saith not, and to seeds, that is plural, as of many, as he says here, but as of one, and to thy seed, singular, but uh, which is Christ, which is Christ, thy seed, which is Christ. So when you look back over here in Psalms 22, third, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Stay with me on this. I've got some beautiful things to show you here. Now, this 22nd chapter of Psalms that this 30th verse is in is all about Jesus's crucifixion. The very first verse, it says, 22.1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the words that Jesus said on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That was the words that Jesus said on the cross in Hebrew. They did not know what he was saying because in the New Testament, they spoke Aramaic, not pure Hebrew. But when Jesus died on the cross, he actually said these words in, in Psalms 22.1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the pure Hebrew. That's why they say, what's he saying? Somebody said, I don't know. It sounds like he's saying, calling on Eli, 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 and so this is what Jesus was actually saying on the cross. And, and he was identifying himself to be in Psalms 22 here. This is all about Jesus here on the cross. Look at verse 16, 22. Say, I'm just saving time. Sometime read this chapter because this is Jesus on the cross, how he felt and the way he was persecuted by the people. And he has many interesting things to say about him. I don't have time to read that. But look at the 16th verse. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. We all know that to be Jesus, a prophecy of that. Verse 18, they part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. All this happened uh, at Jesus' time. They pierce his hands and feet. This is recorded in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and Luke 23 and John 19, all that's recorded about, about them parting his garments. Matthew 27, again, Luke 22, 23 and John 10. All these things to let us know, John 19 rather, let us know that they were prophecies of the things. That, so this 22nd chapter is all about Jesus. So when you come down here to verse 30, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a, a generation. Now, let me just talk to you a little bit about what this is all about. When a king was on the throne and he ruled, as long as he was living, those years were counted by him. How many of you know what our dating system, we live in 2000, we live in 2019 now. And many of you know what BC means? Before Christ, that's right. Before Christ is what it originally meant. They're trying to change all that now. And you'll see that someplace. But before Christ is what it means. And then if it's after zero date, zero date, everything is counted back is B.C., before Christ. Everything from Christ afterwards is called A.D. Okay. You know, how many of you know what A.D. means? All right. This sister knows. There's a few hands that know it. 
It means Anna Domini. It does not mean after death. It means Anno Domini. And Anno Domini is Latin, and it means year of our Lord. Come on now. Year of our Lord. Everybody still with me? Yeah. So that if you're reading about a king over here, and you'll say, in the first year of so-and-so, in the tenth year of so-and-so, you see what I'm saying? If you say in the 20th and 2019 year of so-and-so, that means he's king and he's still alive and he's still on the throne. And our B.C. and A.D. dating system is based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and he's still alive. And so we don't say in the 10th year of king so-and-so, we say in the 20th, 19th year of our Lord who is still alive. Praise God. So from the time that Jesus was on this earth until now is counted as one generation because he's still alive. Do you understand what we're saying here? This is why this Psalms 22 30 here is so important. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to him for a generation. So when Jesus said, you know, that this generation shall not pass, he's talking about the generation, praise the Lord, or dispensation of time that would be from the time that he was on this earth and he would actually rose again, right on from he lived, right on until he comes back again, is counted as one generation. You say, Brother Byers, that's, you just thin. Hey, let me give you another scripture. You ready for another one? Look in Psalm 61, 6. 61.6, thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. Verse 7, he shall abide before God forever. Now this is speaking of Jesus Christ here. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that when you read in this scripture over here where Jesus said in Luke, in Luke 21 and, and in Matthew, I should say, Matthew 24, when you read these verses here where it says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. It's the generation of Jesus Christ. He's still alive. He's still on the throne. Folks, it's a testimony that Jesus is still alive. Praise God. Now, I'll just add one little appendix here to this. There is an effort being put forth in the world today to change A.D. to uh, C.E. And at first they said Christian era. Let's just change it and call it the Christian era instead of A.D. Since that's Latin, you know, and the year of our Lord, we call Jesus, you know, he, he's not here anymore. He's died and gone on. He's not even around. It's, it doesn't even make sense. That's what they say. This was all the A.D. The AD BD system was put together in uh, 533 A.D. Uh, by a, a monk uh, who was appointed to put all this together and so forth. And so Anyhow, they'll say, oh, it, it means the Christian era. Then, then now they've changed it and call it the common era. So when you see our dating system now, sometimes you don't see uh, B.C. and A.D. You see A.C. You see E.C.E. Always use A.D. It's the year of our Lord. Praise the Lord. And so some calendars, if you've got Christian calendars, it'll say 2019 year of our Lord. Praise the Lord. And I love it. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hands and worship God and thank him for it. Jesus we love your wonderful name, God. We thank you for truth. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your wonderful and glorious and beautiful salvation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody say praise the Lord. Now, I want to talk to you about something else. I want you to go back with me, if you would, please, to uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. 24-1. Departed from the temple, and his disciples came unto him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And, of course, this is also recorded also in Luke, as we already said, uh, in 21.5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned, this is 21.5 of Luke, and with goodly stones and gifts, he said, there shall not be left one stone upon another. Now, I want to talk to you about the temple here, because the temple is a very, uh, was a beautiful edifice in those days. Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, they said, uh, show us a sign. You do all these miracles, show us a sign. I don't know, he was doing miracles and they wanted a sign. I still don't understand those Sadducees and Pharisees. But anyhow, they wanted a sign. He said, show us a sign. And he said, all right. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They said, what? Oh, they they went all bonkers over that. This temple has been in the building for uh, this. Then it was was built by Zerubbabel 400 years before Christ. And then it was refurbished by Herod. So the refurbation of it. Uh, by Herod is what they were referring to. They said, this has been in the building for 42 years and you're saying that you're going to destroy this temple in three days. You're ready. Oh, they went away. This. And the Bible went on, goes on to say, he spoke not of the temple, but of his body that he should raise in three days, destroy this temple in three days. I read. So that Jesus, when he was on earth, was the temple of God because it was in him that the presence of God dwelt. Everybody understand what I'm saying? He was the temple of God on earth. That building was still there, but it was going to be destroyed because God was no longer in it. I mean, if you read Josephus' history about the temple, it was, it was deplorable what all that they did in that temple and how they used that temple and abused the temple, trying to uh, usurp their authority over the Roman government and so forth. I won't go into details on that even. But... The word, the, the truth about it is that in Jesus was the temple because he was the temple because in him was the Holy Ghost. When Jesus went away, when he went up, praise the Lord, he said, go ye into Jerusalem and tarry until ye be endued with power from on high. And so those, those disciples went in to that upper room, there's 120 all together with the, the Mary and the mother of Jesus and all the women as well. They prayed for 10 days. The Holy Ghost fell. They spoke in other tongues and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Praise the Lord. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost was poured out. And it has, been, it has continued to be poured out all for 2,000 years to those who would seek the Lord and ask God to give them that wonderful presence and spirit of God. Now, let me have you go to another verse of scripture here. Uh, I want to show you here. This is interesting. I'm going to Ezekiel chapter uh, 5 and verse 11. This is a prophecy concerning that temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed in 70 AD. Prophecy of it. Uh, It says here, Wherefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because thou hast defiled my sanctuary with all thy detestable things, And with all thine abominations, therefore will I also diminish thee. 
neither shall mine eye spare, neither will I have any pity. And then he talks about one third have famine, one third of uh, die by the sword, and one third will be uh, scattered all over the place, like in which they were. Now, also with that verse of scripture, I'm reading in Jeremiah. This is about the temple now, the Old Testament. I'm reading here in Jeremiah 25, 29. For lo, I begin to bring evil on the city, which is called by my name. That's Jerusalem. And should ye be utterly unpunished? Talking to the Gentiles now. Ye shall not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth. And what he's saying there, excuse me, in Jeremiah... is that if I will bring judgment upon Israel and destroy that temple, don't you think for a moment that I won't also bring judgment upon the Gentiles when they or if they commit sins and do the abominable things that those Jews did. I will do it. And so he goes on to say that. Now, it's a very interesting thing that is the Bible states about uh, you and I here today and us receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm reading here in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about is very sobering, folks, but it's very truthful and it's something that all of us must always keep in mind and understand about God. 3.16, know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Now, this is Paul talking. When Jesus was on earth, he had the spirit in him. He was the temple of God. When he went away and we were baptized, we, that is the church, or the early church was baptized with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God was in them, praise God. And some died and, and, and uh, they went, went on to be with the Lord and their bodies were buried and so forth. Others came along, they received the Holy Ghost. And so it has continued to be like that ever since. Verse 16, know ye not that ye are the temples of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Everybody see that? Now notice the next verse here. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here, and and I will be honest with you, I used to quote this scripture. And some of you probably have heard it. God will not dwell in an unclean temple. There is no such scripture. Believe me, there isn't. I, I, I spent hours trying to find that verse one time. I searched and searched and searched. I found out that was no verse of scripture. That's just a statement that we say, and it's true to some extent. God will not dwell in an unclean temple, but it's more severe than that. What I did find was the 17th verse here in this, this chapter that I'm reading, 1 Corinthians three seventeen. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And he's not talking about an earthly temple here when he says that. He's talking about, he's talking about the human life. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, which you are, he just got to say, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So he lets us know that we are the temple of God and that God will destroy us if we do not keep our temple holy. I'm serious. Stay with me on this. Some of you getting really, you're getting really touchy right now. Everybody stay with me. I'm reading here in first Corinthians chapter six, verse 19. 
What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Everybody see that? That's just a confirmation of what we've already read. Let me give you another verse of scripture in second, uh, in second, uh, second uh, Corinthians and chapter six and verse 16. And it says here in verse 16, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then he goes on to say, wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and so forth. Now, what I'm pointing, simply pointing out to you here is that we as the church, folks, we must be a clean people. I'm serious. We forget sometimes how important we are to God. We are the temple of God on this earth. We are. And uh, I know a lot, we like to hear things, you know, God loves everybody and God loves you and God loves you and God loves you. But when God gives us a baptism of the Holy Ghost and he wants us to live for him and serve him and walk with him, God requires of us to be a holy, God-fearing people. He does. Praise the Lord. And if we defile the temple, that's why holiness is so important. Holiness, praise the Lord, is not just the way we dress and look, that's part of it. But it's the way we act, what we say, what we don't say, where we go, where we don't go, you know, what we do, what we don't do, all those things. This is why that is so important to live for God and we cannot just take our Christianity just flippant because God wants us to know how important it is. That was the difference. I, I think it was uh, brother, I think it was Wednesday night, brother, uh, our speaker there, uh, Tyler, Brother Tyler, I forgot who was the speaker. Brother Tyler, I think, spoke on this uh, this past Wednesday night, the difference between Esau and Jacob. He said, Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, I think is the way it's worded. And why, why did the Lord hate Esau? Why did he love Jacob? You know, and it, Esau was the rightful heir. It should have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, and, and he was very right on that. That's the way it should have been, because Esau was the firstborn. They were twins, but he was the firstborn of the twins. So he had the rightful birthright to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But Esau despised his birthright. You understand what I'm saying? He wanted the blessings. Yes. That's why he wanted his dad's dad, bless me now, bless me now. He wanted the blessing, but he did not want the responsibility. He didn't want to say, God, hero, God is Israel. Uh, I was going to say, hero Israel, God, God is one God. Uh, he believed in one God and it was not Israel then. But he said he did not want the responsibility that there was one God and that God was the God of all things. is Elohim, which means he's the God of everybody, everything, all existence, everything. I mean, he's the God of the water, the God of the sky, the God of the sea, the God of, uh, you name it. All the gods that the heathen can, cr- can crank up and say a God for this, a God for that. Elohim is a God for all of it. I mean, that's, he's, he's, he's everything. And this is the way the Jews felt and this way they believed. And that's why they call their God Elohim. Not El, but Elohim. El meaning God, like a little God, like one of the other gods. But he's Elohim. And so I'm, I'm pointing all that out to say to you that 
They believed that he was that one God and that they were to serve him, live for him, worship him, and be obedient to him. But Esau didn't want to do that. He wanted to chase around and everything and sleep around with all these women. And that's exactly what he did. He didn't want to do all of that stuff, everything. But Jacob wanted the birthright and he was willing to take the responsibility of it. That's why Jacob, whenever he laid down and the Lord appeared to him and these angels going up and down and he was running for his life from Esau. That's why the Lord spoke to him and he said, Lord, I'll give you a tenth of all that I have. And I talked to you late, uh, not long ago about tithes, but he said, I'll give you a tenth of everything. He was saying, God, I'm going to take the responsibility of being a child of God. Now, what I'm trying to say to all of us here today is that in our walk with God, we have the responsibility to to keep holiness, to be righteous, to love God. You know, to love people is part of loving God. Did you know that? You know, the cross is both ways like this. He says, you know, love, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say love your neighbor with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. <laughs> love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but love your neighbor as yourself. It's the horizontal love, but the love of God, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And when we get to receive the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, it comes into our lives. We are the temple of God on this earth and God gives us a love for our fellow man. Praise the Lord. This is why the church is such a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm, I say this to everybody. I, I, I say it to everybody. You, you people are the most wonderful people on the face of the earth. You know, I know God has good people all over America and all over the world. But to me, you're the best. <laughs> you're the best. Because these are the ones that I, 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 I fellowship with on an everyday basis, you know. Praise the Lord. But I'm just saying God's people, wherever they are, they are the best people on the face of the earth because they've got God's spirit in them. And God's Holy Spirit makes us the temple of God and God's spirit, praise the Lord, is upon us. But we don't want to play with that. We don't want to play at the foot of the cross. That's what they were doing when they cast lots for Jesus' Jesus's garment. I mean, the sacrifice for the sins of all the world was, was over their heads, and they were gambling, throwing dice at the foot of the cross, see who would get his garment because they had no seams in it. They couldn't rip it apart. So instead of dividing it among them, somebody, one person had to get it. So they threw, they threw dice down there. And they, they call it lots. Lots were, that's where dice originally came from. They were, I think, bigger objects back then. And they were determined a lot of times on how things would fall, so forth. But that's what they were doing. They were playing at the foot of the cross. And, and we cannot bear to do that because we are the temple of God. And the, the Lord said, you know, if any man defile the temple of God, him will I destroy. And it's a very serious thing. Uh, there is another scripture here in First Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse 17. And this is interesting here because we are coming to the time of the coming of the Lord. And as we see the day approaching, he says, when you see all these things come to pass, then look up for your our redemption draweth nigh. And when you see all these things coming to pass, he says, look up. And then this is what he says here in First Peter. Verse seven, this is verse 17 of chapter four. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Well, that's sobering. If God is going to judge the world, he begins at the house of God. 
Do you understand what I'm saying here? Before he starts judging the world like we read about in the book of Revelation, he will judge us. He'll talk to us. This is the Bible, why the Bible talks about, you know, we should judge ourselves lest we be judged. And he talks about, you know, how that uh, we ourselves, praise the Lord, are, are judged daily. At the end time, there's going to be a white throne judgment in which God will judge everybody that's ever lived from the beginning of time to the end. True. But not the church. You know why? We are judged daily. We are judged daily. The Bible says that's what Paul said. We are judged daily. That's why, folks, you can't get away with anything. <laughs> you can't get away with anything. I can't get away with anything. We can't get away with anything. Because the Lord is judging us. You try to, you, you do something wrong. He'll, 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 he'll get all over you about it. If he doesn't, too bad. He, the Bible says he chastens whom he loves. Just like a father chastens a child that he loves, he chastens him if he does something wrong. And if we do things wrong, he'll chasten us. Lord. He has me. He has me. Years ago, I was in, in doing some construction work. A man overpaid me on a job. And I knew he did, but I had a hard time on that job. And I said, well, it was worth it. And it's all right. He overpaid me, I think. It was about $35 all it was. But God started dealing with me. He said, you owe that man $35 back. I said, that's only $35. I'd say, Lord, I love you, I love you, love you. And then the Lord will say, I don't hear a thing you're saying. I'm not interested in what you're saying. Jesus, I love you, I love you. Don't talk to me. I've told you what you've got to do. I mean, I could feel that. It was no, it was no audible voice, but I could feel that. Until finally one day I said, I'm going to do it. In the middle of the night, Middle of the night, God woke me up talking to me about that in that fashion. I said, all right, Lord, first thing in the morning, I get this happened one day and, I forget, and the morning came and I forgot about it. I went all day long and that night I was praying again and all of a sudden the Lord said, you haven't done it. And so that night I said, okay, God, I promise you for, for good I will come daybreak, come morning, I'll get up. And I did. I went to see that guy, walked up to him. I said, hey, on that job, blah, 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 you overpaid me $35. Here's the $35. He said, thank you. Picked it up, stuck in his pocket and walked away. I said, he didn't even say thank you. <laughs> he didn't say, man, you're not his guy. He didn't say a word. He just walked away. And I, I said to myself, oh, well, that's all right. I've got my relationship with God back. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I'm saying, folks, he judges us daily because he loves us. Praise the Lord. And I just want to say here today, let's walk with God with all of our heart. Let's stay close to God. Let's be faithful unto him. Let's do all things that God, praise the Lord, might bless us and be with us. I'm going to read one other verse of scripture here. And this is found in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. And it's talking about how God turned away Israel and he took us in the time of the Gentiles that we might have his spirit, that we might be saved, that we might be the bride of Christ. And the Jews were scattered throughout the world. He says this. And finally concludes this with verse 22 and verse 11. It's not the last verse in chapter 11, but it's the conclusion of his statement here. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. 
And just one statement here in my time is gone. And that is, folks, we like to talk sometime about the power of God that we have with God. But we also have a great responsibility. Responsibility of holiness, responsibility of the fear of God, responsibility of loving other people. God bless you people. I, I, I love the way that you are concerned about other people in the, in the family of God. You are. You're, you're mindful of them. You look, you make phone calls, you check on them, see how they're doing. All those things. And I just want to tell you, one of these days, Jesus is coming back. When you see all these things come to pass, then look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me together and let's lift our hands and just worship him.